Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Is It a Real Classic, a podcast about movies and TV where a bunch of well-versed folks come together and answer that age-old debate about what makes a classic. I am, of course, your host, Litnick, back from ages, uh, long hiatus, um, not, we had some technical issues, don't worry about it, but we're, we're, we're back, we're back for a little bit, and with me today is Cobra Kai KP, say hello. Sweep the leg. Sweep the leg. Don't you love to hear it? Uh, how's it? How's it feel to be back? Does it feel good? Do we feel good? We feel energetic? Yes. Yes, it feels very good. Feel very Can't good. wait. All right. Bart once famously said. <laughs> yes. And today, now that we're back and excited, we're going to talk about something very popular and interesting that has gotten everyone interested very recently. A little show called WandaVision. We're going to be talking about that today. Uh, now, for those of you who don't know, WandaVision is a one-season miniseries that follows Wanda Maximoff and her husband, The Vision, as they try to live their perfect cookie-cutter suburban life away from the action and the struggles of the MCU. But as the show progresses, we find out that not everything is as perfect as it seems in Westview. As some people outside of town investigate the mysteries, they find a tragic and sinister answer at the center of it. And to save the residents of Westview will require both a sacrifice from both Vision and Wanda. A sacrifice they may not be willing to make. Yeah, yeah the, the description is uh, only scratching the surface because there's a, a lot about the show and how it functions that's just really hard to parse down in a singular description. But that's basically the gist of it. Um, KP, what did you think about the show? What did you think about it? Um, For me personally... I could see either way somebody looked at it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, being a graphic novel, comic book, uh, MCU, CU, the kind of person that's going to watch all of it no matter what and then evaluate it later, it started a little slow, but that didn't bother me because I found... Uh, I found the way they were going about telling the story fascinating. Going through the different, and you'll get into it in more detail, but going through the different generations of television shows and then later learning as to why that was and how we had, you know, found it interesting enough that any anything that may have been incredibly exciting right out the shoot, I was willing to wade through. Whereas if you if you aren't that type of person, I could see where you got to episode two and just dialed off, you know. But I felt like it was very well done the whole way through, and I felt the payoff, reward for take because a lot of times whether you're reading a book or watching a TV show or watching a movie or or, or one of these series, is the first couple of episodes you're going to have to wade through content in order to enjoy the payoff, right? Yeah. I felt like the payoff here was plenty worth waiting through what really amounted to about 85 minutes worth of waiting through content to kind of have something as a reference point later on down the road, if that makes sense. Yeah, the show functions on three levels. Um, In case you don't already know, like uh, my personal thoughts is I adore the series, and I'll go into a little bit more detail as to why, but the show functions on three levels like on one it's a mystery box like like kevin was saying 
Like, it acts in this way where it asks you these questions about, okay, why is Vision alive? He is supposed to M-game MCU. He should be dead. Why is Wanda acting like a suburban houseman? Why is everything in black and white? And then why is everything changing from decade to decade? And it, every episode, like even though it's all a different uh, episode of a sitcom, which that's the second level it kind of works on as a salute to these classic sitcoms through the decades, the first one is basically unraveling the mystery of, okay, what's happening? And every episode, bit by bit by bit, they kind of take it apart, the mystery box, try and show you what's going on on the inside. And that really is what brought people back, I think. it's Everyone was talking about WandaVision every single day, week it came out, and it became like an obsession point where everyone was trying to solve the mystery and just kept the discourse going, which brought more people to Disney+, Plus, brought more eyes to the product, and blah, 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 blah. And on that fu- like um, function, it really did fire on all cylinders, definitely, where it was this whole big... It was very much kind of built, like dangling the carrot in front of you to get to the end like you were saying but like that's also kind of the point is that they wanted to kind of take you on this journey of confusion until you got to the answer that you were looking for but as i said the second level it works on is the fact that it's this huge salute to sitcom so even though you are wading through all these very confusing things for most of these episodes you still get that whole every decade every new sitcom like in the first episode it's a salute to the 50s, which with I Love Lucy, Dick Van Dyke, the next decade was more bewitched. The third, which was the 70s, focused on the Brady Bunch and the Partridge family, and so on and so forth down the line. And we'll get into detail about that in a second, but the third level that it worked on the most, I feel like, and we'll get to why it does in a little bit, is how it really is one of the more emotional, character-centric pieces that I've seen out of the MCU. Just not say that the MCU doesn't do character-centric things, but it's just the thing where you finally get to go into the character because you have more time to do it. You have all of these... It's kind of similar to how they did it in the Marvel Netflix series where, to almost to their detriment a little bit, where they were going so much detail about the characters and so much... You got to see their everyday life and got to do things that you wouldn't really be able to do in like a 90-minute format or something of that kind. So, being able to really go into Wanda's psyche, getting able to, like, see her fears, see why, everything she's lost, and just every, the entire show essentially acting as the different stages of loss, actually, in every episode, which I also found to be very interesting. Um, but let's go into uh, detail a little bit. Um, because from my perspective, the reason why I love so much is the best way to view the show, if you want to not be confused about everything, is how it connects to you the stages of grief, which is something I think we all know. Do you know what the stages of grief are, Kevin? Do you remember what I all would of them like are? To tell us. Uh, they are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Five steps for a, what, a nine episode show? Six? I don't remember. I do know. That's wrong. It's five, six, seven... Eight, um, seven episodes, I want to say. Um, it's not a perfect one-to-one allegory, but it does something that really emphasizes the show's strengths, and we'll go into it. Like The first three episodes can be seen as Wanda's state of denial, where she's living this perfect life with Vision, all a bunch of classic sitcom episodes, which are, by the way, actually pretty funny. Can we 
can we talk about that actually while we were on this section? The f- the first episodes you can just watch having not connected to MCU and just it's just an episode of a classic sitcom. It's just you could just watch it. Like the first episode, what what was the conflict again? It was the fact that you know Wanda and Vision are having a confusion about a date about a heart on a calendar. Wanda thinks it's an anniversary of some sort, so she gets all romantic. Then Vision realizes that it's a business dinner with the boss he wants to impress, and so all the hijinks ensue due to miscommunication. It's very, and it's all also for a fun fact for the first episode, legitimately shot in front of a live studio audience, so it has that look, that feel. And the legitimate laugh track from the people watching the show. Well, and all the while you have the military and the different experts outside of the military who have been brought in to observe this land that Wanda has created. They're TV land, one might say. A TV land, yeah. That um, Exactly. And... They're observing the show as well. And, you know, a couple of the characters, the the more fun characters, begin to get wrapped up in the shows. Yeah, and that's what we get with the character of Monica. Because we, in the first three episodes, we don't know about the military presence yet. That happens in episode four. But in the third episode, and I want to say a little bit touch of the second episode, we get the character of Monica. And we get to see her trying to... Also, also kind of add to that theme of loss, trying to move on from loss as monica tries to pull wanda out of her state of denial she brings up the fact that her brother is dead which wanda immediately shoves her out because she doesn't want to think about it anymore and so right she has a similar issue yeah and then we go to episode four we explain wanda just disip like the whole city of westview that we've seen this perfect sitcom land is actually just this weird facade of a place this strange anomaly where no one can get in and when they go in they are transformed into these sitcom characters we don't know why and then the military guys coming in to try and figure out what the dealio is and from there we get to our next uh, stage of the whole loss and grief process which is anger which can be seen at the end of the 70s episode and the beginning of the 80s which is when immediately wanda shoves monica out for trying to get in and then the beginning of the 80s, where we see the the outside world continue to like kick and force themselves into her life, where she constantly fights back. Um, we do see the the military presence. We get a little bit more about Monica in these episodes, where we see that she also suffered some loss as well. She lost her mom, and she wasn't able to grieve properly, and so she's like five months out from learning that her mother is dead, and she just wants to work through it. Another state of denial, in a way. But... With the state of anger, because Monica understands what Wanda's going through, she knows not to try and poke the bear with the stick, you know, and the military does that. So we see through all these episodes, Wanda kind of lash out at everyone trying to pull apart her perfect fantasy. We see that, like, what's the big threat that happens in the end of the 80s episode? They send in a drone to try and, like, bring Wanda out of this. And when they do, she immediately, her eyes turn red, and she throws the drone back outside and just basically tells everyone, you're not coming in here. And she makes the outside force of the Hex, which is what they're nicknaming the whole area that surrounds Westview. She strengthens it, and to the point where no one can get in now. 
now it's just like a one-way door. And if someone tries to get out or someone tries to go in, things will break. We also you uh, get to see a little bit of Vision himself finding flex the she does flex big time when they try to confront her. Oh, yeah. You know, she know that they can't. That their power isn't going to do them any good here. 100%. There's a whole thing where she's basically making threats against them. But granted, it's the thing where she just wants to be left alone. But she also doesn't realize how much her power is and how much her grief is affecting everyone around her. Which we're going to get into a little later. But as I said, Vision himself also decides to fight back against the fantasy his ire right, like kind of rises, and we see some of that anger when he confronts Wanda about the fact that he's starting to see the fantasy fall apart too. He wants to know what's going on in Westview. He can't see any kids around. Doesn't know why that is. And then we also get yes. to reveal that he also doesn't know about his life before Westview, which is very. Which again, we're now going back to the mystery box. Just a little bit, a little bit more information we're being given. A little bit more like bits and pieces of the solution being now handed to us. Um. So we have, and again, all of this is within the context of seeing an 80s and 70s sitcom. We see, again, the Brady Bunch era where she has a kid now. Okay. <laughs> that's fun and that's new, which, again, begs many other questions, which we get later. Again, adding to the mystery box idea. And then we see the kids grow up with her, and she starts having a family. She really just wants to keep what she has because she's happy for once in her life. And you kind of, and the sitcom, even though it's like a very strange way of doing it, also kind of helps you connect to the character, understand her needs and wants really well. Because something that sitcoms do very well is trying to make you relate to the characters and their foibles. At least that's how I view it, and it's anyway. But then we get the big twist point at the end of the 80s because she's had all this anger and now her anger is a vision a little bit. What does she do? What do you do when you are just completely angry at like your, at the person that you love the most and you're like, I need to find someone who understands me? And who should pop up in the midpoint of the 80s but her dead quote-unquote brother of Pietro. But it's not the Pietro she knows. It's a Pietro who looks very different. And for those of us who are watching the show there's a meta thing where we look at the screen and see the new pietro and say that's the pietro from the x-men movies which again adds to the mystery box even more and gives us more questions but pietro is introduced and in the 90s episode we get bargaining which is where i think the show really kind of hits the ground running where she talks about how she has seen her brother as i said and misses him and lo and behold here comes pietro um and even though he looks completely different, you can tell she's and she's starting to question him, his existing herself. She's trying to bargain with herself in this point and say, "At least I have him. It's fine." It's this whole. She doesn't say those words exactly, but the thing is, she wants to believe that her brother is here. She wants to believe, like I can. If I can't have this, then I can have that. And even, and even though every single time Pietro does something more childish in the episode, but also does all these little different things that prove that he may not be the guy he says he is, she is in full denial because she doesn't want to... Well, not really full denial, but she's bargaining with the idea that maybe something's wrong, but at least I get to have this. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm willing to put up with... 
I'm willing to overlook even the fact that this may not be who says he is at all because I desperately need my brother back. Yeah. And all this, by the way, is in the style of Malcolm in the Middle, which in terms of I, 90s sitcoms, I wasn't expecting that one when it, when the show was coming out. Like I was expecting something along the lines of like, you know, Seinfeld maybe, or um, you want to throw back to like the early nineties, like you can go to like Full House, but no. And I think it works. Remember, it did have to come. It did have to come in the context of a family. Yeah. Even the, even the Bewitched style one where we get, which I thought was a really good episode where uh, he chews the gum and gets confused and they had the weird magician show in the park. Mm-hmm. All these things have to fit where their family is at that moment in time. Yeah. You know, and Malcolm in the Middle does oddly fit right in line with where this family is in development. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it shows that there are a bunch of kids there, obviously. It also shows that there is this weird meta thing going on with with the way that the son talks to the camera like he did Malcolm in the Middle. You see right. all these different little ideas of also deconstruction of the sitcom, which Malcolm in the Middle did a little bit. But we also see it now with the deconstruction of the fantasy that's surrounding Wanda how everything is starting to fall apart around her because the questions are starting to be asked, okay, the kids are here now, that's really weird. And then we see Pietro start asking more questions. Meanwhile, she's pushed Vision so far away that Vision himself is going on his own investigation. As Vision is going through his own arc in the series, like apart from Wanda, where Vision is trying to figure out what's going on and who he is in this strange new world and the mystery of who exactly is Agnes, our weird neighbor who just shows up every episode. And in this episode, she's in the theme song for some reason. That's weird. What's up with that? <laughs> um, and we'll get into all the actors in a second, but uh, because I'm, I'm trying to separate this into sections. And the end of the episode does have Vision go outside the hex and start literally deconstructing before our eyes. Monica and, and uh, another character named Jimmy Woo kind of run off to try and find some way to break into the hex. But when Vision is dying out there on the grass with in front of the military and the chief military man, who's just basically like, this is not what I expected to happen. Wanda, in this very just last Hail Mary attempt to save everything she knows and loves, expands the, the borders of the Hex far beyond what it should have ever been. And it goes, and it not only absorbs Vision, it absorbs pieces of the people of the military. It absorbs things outside of town it absorbs things in the near tri-state area it just takes like it shows that her grief and her anger and her loss is just it's not only come to consume her but it's also come to consume everyone around her which leads of course she can no longer bargain with any anymore which leads to our next unfortunate stage of grief which is depression which is in the 2000s episode which was a la the Modern Family, where she literally wallows in nihilism at a joke, laughing, going stir-crazy as nothing seems to work anymore, as the world breaks down around her. Like, her fan... The world is glitching. We start realizing that her powers are directly connected to the people of Westview. 
she seems to be in control of everyone in Westview and why the environment constantly changes depending on the decade. And now that she's expanded the borders of the Hex and the fact that she's in a mental state, every the world is starting to glitch and break down. And so, with her basically kind of wallowing in this nihilism, saying literally, nothing matters, as she kind of laughs hysterically and just wants to be at home alone for a little bit, we are then led to the... Sh- to know who Agnes is, who we've again seen through the entire eps- the uh, show as the uh, sitcom best friend neighbor who kind of busts in like Kramer and says, hey, Jerry, or <laughs> there's an, I'm sure there's another apt, uh, na- I'm trying to think of the, who's the neighbor from uh, Home Improvement, whose name slips my mind at the moment? Wilson? And I can't, I can't remember, but throughout history, every family show has a neighbor housewife style person who bumps in like um what was it Walona was like the good times version and then uh I think it was Walona goodness I, I I need to probably Google some of these I apologize remember uh Happy Days technically you could argue the Fonz was the character that was kind of ran in and was the wild card that came into the show oddly like, enough yes. Oddly enough, yeah, that that's true. Um, you had Kramer, obviously, like oh, yeah. you just said. Oh, uh, yeah. You had, uh, I, dude, it's just so many. But like every one of those shows has neighbor that, and is 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 weird. Usually they stumble around somehow, being the voice of reason, without without meaning to be. Yeah, you know, yeah. and then and she kind of serves that voice of reason role until she doesn't. That makes sense. Yeah, and Which, Agnes does act in right. that kind of role as the kind of voice of reason, but she's also the a source of a lot of mischief that happens. Like she's the one in the first episode who's like, "Oh, clearly that's your anniversary, darling," and then helps her try to get like romantically involved with Vision on the night when it's supposed to be something else. She also pokes and prods at Wanda all the time, saying. Oh, it's aren't you the star of the show? And like, oh, I hey kids, I saw you had a dog. Let me help you out by giving you this uh little uh doghouse. And she also doesn't question anything that happens in front of her, but instead just kind of takes it in stride. Um, mm-hmm. so again, asks the question of who is she and why is she different from everyone else in town? And this is where we we get the reveal that she is an Agnes, but rather another witch a witch named agatha harkness from like the salem witch trials who has lived for ages and has found that wanda is not only because we've never really established in the mcu that she was a witch until now and then it's just revealed that yeah no this was all magic and you somehow have been able to do it now i want to know how you do it and wanda being in her depressive state says i don't care and so wanda is taken down memory lane with Agnes as Agnes wants to find the source of her power, but unintentionally leads to my favorite episodes of the series and one of my favorite episodes of television of this year, where essentially we are slowly seeing the way to get past this issue of loss, and that is to confront the past and confront and embrace our emotions and feelings rather than trying to push them down or rather than trying to just lash out. Um, it's, um, quite an episode that kind of mix, messes with where we think we are time-wise as 
Literally, we see Wanda's entire past in front of us throughout the entire time. Um, this is where we see Wanda as a child growing up in Sokovia, a little a country that has a very steep um, dynamic of poor and rich, where she lived in the very poor side of town, where there were constantly fights and there was a war going on, and her family was killed. And she had to watch that happen in front of her eyes. And then she had to lose someone again. Then she was able to be experimented by Hydra in, her, in another act of her own rage with her brother. That led to another area where she lost everything again with her brother. And then she gets a vision. And then that's when we see her kind of watching. Because throughout the entire episode, it's kind of laced with the idea that she watched sitcoms as a kid. So that way she could learn English. And was her one time connecting with the family. And you would see this. That's a very throughout. important part of the show. Yes. It's a very important part of that show because it is the genesis. It's the format of which the story is being told to us inside the bubble. So now we know why it is happening. It's because it's a part of it's Wanda's comfort. It's her it's a place she goes to whenever she feels alone or conflicted, is she she reverts back to sitcom. That could explain also why her accent goes away in certain parts of the show uh, not only show but also the movies where Agatha does make the jo joke wow that accent really comes and goes doesn't it it kind of adds that right, kind of managed right. idea of that and through the entire show we also get to the point after Pietro's initial death in Age of Ultron where she's watching sitcom where she, we see the moment really where she falls in love with Vision where she's um trying to watch Malcolm in the middle and Vision just sits down to her with her and they talk about how she's basically how she's feeling at the moment and how she just feels like she's breaking and how she's lost everyone. And she just feels like the grief is just a wave that keeps hitting her over and over and over again. And we get the uh, rather now famous line, but it's such a good line where Vision says like, I'm not acquainted with grief as I've never truly lost anything, but I can't imagine that it's all that one feeling because what what is grief if not love persevering? Which is quite a quote. My God. <laughs> it's funny. I, I read this like pseudo think piece. I can't. I, I wish I could give the guy credit yesterday thinking about this thing. And it was like, it's okay to, to believe that that statement is kind of like an earth shattering statement and to feel that it's profound is okay because even though it came from this style of it came from a tank. robot man talking to a witch and right yet, and yet it, it worked for the show and it works emotionally because it speaks to an emotional truth vision as a character has always been able to evaluate humanity in a very accurate way you know and this version of that evaluation it is spot on it is the you know the more pain you feel the more you love the one that left uh for whatever reason they left whether it be death or just moving on without you that there's a it, it, there's a legitimacy between those two things correlating and it's okay to delve into it and it's okay if that love does persevere into something else and you never forget that 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 
you have to deal with these great anxieties, great pains, and great things uh, that make you feel smaller as a human in order to get through these things, if that makes sense. Yes. And this, with the whole thing of her leading her through the memory lane, understanding where it all came from, seeing Vision, she, this all eventually leads to the final stage of the show, of the grief process, which is, of course, acceptance. Where after she is able to beat Agatha Harkness, who is just basically trying to absorb her power, she's able to accept who she is and what she's lost and no longer have the grief control her anymore and tired of having it dictate her life. She is the one who's going to be in control of it now, but that means also accepting the fact that Vision and the children that she's made aren't real, which means she uh, takes the hex back, reverts it slowly back, and after everything, she has one final moment with Vision, and then she leaves Westview. I have skipped over an entire subplot involving the military and a white Vision. I want you to know that, people listening at home. Um, But essentially that's... For me, that's what makes the... uh, Not to discount the white Vision thing, because that's also pretty good in its own way. But for me, that's why the show really stuck out to me. Why I really fell in love with it. The fact that it was able to go over this overarching journey through the power of sitcoms by and through these strange characters to discuss the issue of the st- ages of loss and what happens when we let grief kind of control us and how tempting it can be to let grief control us because it's a thing where facing some of those emotions are hard and it's easier to live in denial than it is to go and go on and accept it and we can make a lot of mistakes when we let denial kind of control us we can hurt the people around us but it's a and that's the thing that i think monica says in one of the episodes where she said um like she was talking about her mother and she says how she doesn't want to like the pain is overwhelming but she doesn't want to let it go in some ways because that's her one connection that she has with her mother it's the fact that at least that pain is real and at least that shows that her love is still there and exactly. that's more real than it she's ever going to get. And with all that being said, well, let's talk about some of the other finer details. For example, I did skip over a little bit of the Vision and the White Vision stuff. Like I said, the Vision had his own arc going through trying to accept who he is and what he is. And it all culminates with him facing down with the military version of a White Vision. Which is basically him... But just all robot parts, all cold and calculating, but no soul. Versus the vision that we've seen throughout the entire series, which in some ways is all soul, specifically all Mind Stone soul, but a little bit of vision or Wanda's memories of his soul. And through through that whole fight, we also get the uh, Ship of Theseus debate. Which I thought was a really fun and effective way to kind of resolve that conflict. Because how would a character like Vision defeat an antagonist who is standing in his way? He doesn't throw hands with it. Because you can't throw hands with something that is just as powerful as you. And it doesn't prove a point. 
Mike doesn't always make right. So he just tries, to, he negotiates with the vision of himself saying, I know who I am, do you know who you are? And he does it through the ship of Theseus debate and has the philosophical battle literally in a library. Which Right. However, they do have a spectacular fight prior to that. Yeah, so if so, that way, uh, kind of what Ken was kind of alluding to earlier, if you came to the show wanting the fight, you came here wanting to see the spectacle that comes with the MCU, and there's nothing wrong with wanting a spectacle. I mean, that's where the cornerstone of where a lot of film came from, and the cornerstone about why action movies work. You get it here, and you get it in spades throughout the entire final episode, and both Elmwanda taking on Agatha, but also Vision taking on White Vision. But the fact that it ends on this very like somber note of him kind of accepting who he is and him helping the White Vision and rather than defeating him with his fists, kind of is able to defuse it with his words. For me, it shows what kind of a great character Vision is, I feel like, that he's grown to be. Let's he, pick, let me piggyback on that. Yeah. You, you have Vision who's uh, blindly in this scenario at first with the first two sitcom shows. And then he gradually begins to realize there's something wrong. And then by the time we get to the Halloween episode, he really understands that this isn't right. And that's when uh, Agatha, I believe points him to the way out. Right? She's at, a, she's at a stop sign and as she can turn right or left, she can't go forward, but she points him towards the wall. Am I right? That's yeah. right, right? Yeah, she basically he gets yeah, out there, and then he tries. Right, and then he tries to. Um, and at at that point, we believe she's a heroine in her own right, right? But he tries to crawl through the wall, and we get that very simplistic scene where, as he's getting through the barrier, he begins to fall apart, and then Wanda has to, of course, make the make the area she's. Uh, controlling bigger in order to keep vision in and and him maintain who he is. And that's that whole simplistic. Whenever you're telling lies, as they begin to get found out, you have to tell more lies. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a real, a real simple thing, but it's so true, right? If somebody's lying to you and you figure it out, then they tell you another lie because that lie didn't work. And next thing you know, we've got this huge web started with this small thing also after post that scene nothing's ever the same which is true generally in lies you know once somebody lies to you 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 can't you may still be whatever with them but you relationships forever changed because there's a variable in your relationship now that didn't exist prior to a lie and now there's a lot of trust is hard hey and now there's a lie between wanda and vision Right. And so his character has to deal with that. And he deals with that, not with animosity, but there is a bit of that uh, frustration level. Yeah. Right. And, and and you see that from Vision really for the for the first time, that style of emotion out of him. And then, of course, we get the big showdown and then eventually we get him um, Wanda sacrificing him in order for all of this to progress. Right. And then we get the quick flash. We get the scenes where we are shown him being taken apart in the military base and her, uh, 
finding the house that she winds up saying, okay, this is where we're going to raise a family to and then creating all of it. And then all of that, of course, at the end, not being there anymore. Uh, but his character is, is underneath the Wanda arc, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's very neat to have those two things running parallel along with, the, as always, when you're dealing with comic books, there's a little bit of uh, superheroes are really military instruments. When a lot, a lot in the Marvel, you we'll put it that way, or there, you know what I mean. And like, who does the soldier really belong to on a small scale? Mm-hmm. You know, does he belong to his family or the country? On a big scale, how high? You know, at at what point is the cost more than the gain, which is always there in Marvel? Uh, Iron Man, Civil War, all of those things, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, I actually want to use this as a, in my own piggyback way because um, we're talking about all the characters and stuff. We should talk about specifically how great the acting was across the board of this show because it's very hard to do a sitcom believably and do it well. It's even harder to do it across decades because there's different styles of acting per decade. Like you, like you cannot yes. say that Dick Van Dyke acts the same way that that uh, Sheldon Cooper acts on The Big Bang Theory. They are two completely different acting styles. And Paul Bettany, um, Catherine Hahn, who plays Agnes slash Agatha Harkness, and uh, Elizabeth Olsen have to nail all of them. Every they do. single decade, and they do, which is extremely impressive. Mm-hmm. I want to say especially to Catherine Hahn. And Elizabeth Olsen, oh, actually, especially all of them, but I want to say I'm impressed about Catherine Hahn because there's a little bit of a meta joke here because Catherine Hahn has always 100% played the best friend character in every movie and show she's been in. So the fact mm-hmm. that they cast her to be the best friend who turns out to be the witch <laughs> is like, mm-hmm. there was a bunch of people on Twitter saying, now she can no longer play that role again because every time they see it, they're going to think, oh no, it's Agatha. <laughs> Oh, she's coming. She's coming. She's going to turn on him. <laughs> it's going to happen eventually. Right. right. But because she's so familiar with that role and idea, that kind of the typecast uh, curveball really does make it work for her. And she's all able to bring her own kind of style to Agatha Harkness, who in the comics was this like weird old bitty who just kind of sat in the corner and looked like a Scooby Doo villain. But here she's this more flashy very there there are like elements of the wicked witch of the west in her laugh like there's even a call back to it in, in like the last episode where a car gets thrown on her and then wanda goes down to check and there's just the boots like poking out from underneath this broken house in a car um and it's, <laughs> it's like a really funny little reference but it's a little thing where it's like i i see what you're doing you can see what she's referencing um, and but more importantly what she's trying to put like not only ref just a blanket reference in her uh performance but also what she's trying to like pull elements out of but also we see with um vision and elizabeth Olsen. <laughs> i say vision his name is paul bettany that shows how good he did i'm just calling him vision i'm calling him by the character name instead <laughs> is the fact that you do still have to bounce around between these different decades and also do a bunch of different accents in terms of poor elizabeth olsen who has to do the classic housewife style from the 50s and then go into her weird accent and then she gets into the outside world 
and you just see that kind of jumping around, but also she's still the fact that all of them are able to still have that emotional core to it really makes the show work. I, and if anything, I feel like like I have a couple issues with like the final episode. Like namely, there's this thing where after, like I said, it's revealed that Wanda is, did everything. Like there are a couple tips and turns that maybe she didn't, maybe it was Agatha, but it's essentially everything that happened was because of Wanda's own grief just infecting the world around her. And the point where, like, her own fears and loss and of grief, her emotions, infect the townspeople to the point where they're all just puppets on strings, um, essentially. And so yeah. when she breaks away from that, she finally, like, lets go of Vision. She's shunned by the people, which, you know, I get. I understand. It's a thing where, for her, it's a morally extreme gray area where she was selfish. And she, Then again, is she wrong to have been selfish? Would we have done the same thing if we were in her shoes? I don't know. It, it, it makes her less of a moral paragon, but more of a someone with powers who just was dealing with things that she... With things just boiling over. But there's this line by Monica that says, they'll never understand what you sacrificed, that it kind of rubs me the wrong way. Just like, I, I think they do. <laughs> I think they know perfectly well. But you also, you've controlled their minds for like a week. And some change. Well, and also, think about, I, I get that that rubs you the wrong way, but also, Agatha uses whatever humanity there is in Wanda to try to convince her to give her her powers, right? Yeah, that's an, that's one of the more interesting things about the like the final episode is the fact that, again, one thing that Agatha does is she tries to lean on the guilt and lean on the grief and the pain that Wanda has to, to her advantage. She's trying to make Wanda succumb to the grief like she's been doing this entire time. You can't control the power of the Scarlet Witch. I can. Give it to me. And you can live your perfect fantasy. Like, you don't have to deal with the burden of all of this. This, But as she does try to give her the power as this kind of another um, cheap uh, detour. Or not detour. What's the thing? A shortcut to get past the grief process. It leaves her as a shell of her former self, quite literally. She is a husk. She is um, a, a corpse walking, in a way. And... The fact that, like, if you let the grief consume you, that is what you will become. You will lose all sense of life around you because you would have let it consume you. Which I really thought that metaphor was... I came, I figured out that metaphor a little late, personally. But I, I did love that whole... That visual idea of that. Again, I, I, my, my main concern was with that one line kind of rubbing me the wrong way. Um, but... And there yeah. is the, the, the final battle there where Agatha um, has really been able to control Wanda and head Wanda off at every turn from the last two episodes because she understands the origins of being a witch and she understands kind of the rule book, if that makes sense. It would make sense if you'd seen the show or if you intend to watch it. And then to have Wanda at some point and to understand what it takes in a, in a macro sense too, you know, to control all this power, both I have to have self-control and also I got to know the rules, right? And she defeats Agatha by knowing the rules, but also by letting go of vision, she shows you that 
she also understands kind of what it takes just to be in that role in both the humanity standpoint and the controlling my power standpoint, if that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. Um, God, I just, I just really love the show guys. I am, I'm a big fan of it. Like I'm, I understand it. It's not everyone's cup of tea, but I, from what it was the, not only like the aesthetics of it, but also just like the thematic through line of it. I cannot recommend the show enough. Um, but before we do, shout go, out to Darcy Lewis. Hmm. Shout out to Darcy Lewis. Shout out. Uh, oh yeah. Shout out to Darcy. Lewis. Shout out to, to Randall Park, who for a little bit became a viral part of the show who played Jimmy Woo for a couple scenes in the show. But he, when I say everyone knocked it out of the park, I do mean everyone. The woman who played mm. Monica Rambeau, who acts as the heart at the center of the series, where we see her go through her mom's grief and trying to reach out to Wanda. There's this beautiful, beautiful shot where she's going through the hex as she gets powers, and you see her ripped, like, apart through decades. Not, like, physically ripped apart, but, like, ripped apart through, like, a version of her from back when she was first investigating the hex. A version of her when she was in the 60s. A version of her from the 70s. A version of her when she was running into the hospital to find her mom and the version of her now just like ripped apart five ways as she like fights through the hex to get through to Wanda. It's such a beautiful shot that it's, Oh, it's good. It's good. Right. Love it. Um, and also Evan Peters who, even though he wasn't actually the Pietro from the X-Men, it was just another bait and switch by Agatha. But again, I feel like that adds the, uh, bargaining aspect. So I'm fine with it. He has a, ball in what little time he has and it's so good um right correct um is that a wrap on talking about the show one more thing i do want to talk about before we go actually two small but they're two small things before we wrap it up number one i did want to kind of shout out to the people who made the music of the show because you can't have a sitcom without a good theme song and what great thing who else is going to do good songs than the people who brought you the music from frozen they came mm-hmm. together and made theme songs for the show, and Christoph Beck did the score, and the Wanda's theme, which plays at the credits of every episode, is hauntingly beautiful. But something that's crazy about the all of this music throughout it is they... And there's a video you can watch on YouTube that'll go into detail. I won't. That every episode, in its own way, plays with the idea of the Devil's Tritone. And the Devil's... Or the Devil's... Um, I forgot. I think it's Devil's Tritone. It's this thing in music where... Back in the, back in the old old days, you don't play it because it, it was so uncomfortable to listen to. They thought it was synonymous with the devil, and because we're playing with the idea of like not necessarily exactly the devil, even though Mephisto was a huge rumor for a long time. Um, but the idea of something being off and wrong about this place, um, they brought in the devil's tritone, and you can hear it in every single theme song if you listen for it, and. Like, the first episode, you have a reference... Like, the whole theme song is a big nod to I Love Lucy and Dick Van Dyke, obviously, both in the theme song and in the show. The next one is very clearly Bewitched with its animation. Partridge Family and the Brady Bunch are everywhere in that next third one, with which the we, we got it cooking. We had Growing Pains and little bits of Full House in the 80s episode, 90s, Malcolm in the Middle and this kind of 90s rock... And then you have the 2000s where you see here the office kind of weird electronic noise. Again, all of them have the tritone in it. 
And then you have the best theme song, which every Marvel villain now has to step up their game. Because Agatha Harkness only came on looking fabulous and having a fun reveal. She had a killer theme song all of the monsters, gang. The monster. If you haven't seen heard Agatha all along yet, why are you hurting yourself? It is it is it was one of the top songs that came out in, of iTunes during the time of its release. It is a bop. It is a banger. It's it'll take a minute of your time, and it's just fun. Uh, so I don't know. Which out of curiosity, which theme song was your favorite? Mine is like the seventies. We got something cooking because I watched a lot of those growing up with my mom, and also uh, the Agatha all along. But what was your favorite theme song out of all of them? Out of curiosity. I don't know which theme song was my favorite, but the Bewitched episode was, you know, up until we get to the Halloween one, the Bewitched episode was my favorite. Just the whole package together. Because mm-hmm. you can't really erase the theme from the, that makes it, you can't erase the theme song from the episode. They're, they're much like Come and Knock on My Door is going to be Three's Company, right? Yeah. You just you can't take that away from them. They're all together. It's all intertwined. Right. Well, that's going to basically be a wrap for it. Um, you can check out WandaVision on Disney+. Plus. As you heard from us, we're not going to really rank it because it did just come out. And we're going to... Even though we've waited a while to do this episode, I still think to define it as a... Actually, yeah, I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll throw it out there. Do you want to define, would you define WandaVision as a modern classic, or do you think it's going to be an like underrated classic in the future? Man, I think there's a, this is so fluid, right? Because its place in history will be unique depending on Disney+. Plus. Yes. Right, so in a way, there's, it's impossible for it to be a cult classic because it plays if, with the ideas of cult classics with sitcoms in a way, but also it was the it first, was, it was the first, you know what I mean? And it was also, we were in the middle of a pandemic or the, the tail end of it. We had been without a Marvel movie for a while, which I know it sounds like a big first world problem and it is, but also it's a thing where we were all looking for, for entertainment to escape. We were all feeling this huge burden ourselves of like pain and loss because of what we've all been through and i feel like wandavision unintentionally played to that no well not but it became our own like a lot of people why they relate to it i feel like is because not only is everyone everyone feels it but now more than ever we feel it more like ever present it was cathartic, it was cathartic in many oh. ways so it's place yeah. in history i think is gonna be like I think one Vision is going to be remembered for when it came out and why I was able to touch people in the way that he did. Um, I won't. I don't know if it's going to be along the same lines of like Watchmen as being like this was spoke on like fifty different levels of of ninety different things that were extremely relevant. But it's something that I feel like emotionally, it's going to be something that'll be remembered. And I think like in also, the MCU, it's one of its best. It's also not to to me. It's. To me, it's in upper tier, somewhere below Daredevil, mm-hmm. somewhere below Punisher, um, but above, somewhere below Jessica Jones, but above everything else that was there, which I really liked all of that too. Mm-hmm. 
in, in that version of, of of a Marvel streaming universe, if that makes sense. Does yeah, that make it, sense at all? Yeah, the Marvel Netflix um, stuff is a whole other thing. We may get into that a little later because I have right. many well, positive you, thoughts on that show, those shows. But I want to piggyback on that just in general. Um, after we get through talking about this, I would put it as um, upper tier for sure of of what we've gotten in this format. And um, but I don't think too. Here's the other thing: we're not done with Wanda. Her story doesn't end here. Oh yeah, we're not even not even oh, done yeah. with Wanda in this version of storytelling. You know, and that's the interesting thing. Now that Disney has a hold of this thing, we're going to get. And I I I, I know this is a, a bigger thing to talk about, and maybe we don't have time for it. But we're getting into Falcon, the Winter Soldier now. And that Marvel is telling these stories in a really neat way because people are complaining, right, that it's not like Netflix. You're not getting it all at one time, right? So I'm just going to wait for it all to come out and watch it all at one time. But here's what they're doing commercially, right? They get a buzz when it comes out. They get a buzz every week when an episode drops. Then they get a huge buzz when it ends. So they're, they're running this commercial for their network without having to do anything but release it one at a time. 100%. Um, you know, it's really clever branding in its own way. Also, because it's shot and released one at a time, but what we have nowadays a lot with art, or what we consider art, is you watch a movie and critics say what they say about it, fan bases say what they say about it, uh, Twitter says what it's got to say about it, and then we whatever the vision was for the end of the next part of that movie gets tweaked. Right, because they want people to be happy, and we we and we've kind of gotten away from what is an artist concept. And the best it's the best uh, example of that is over in DC, where you get two completely different Justice League movies. Right, you may not like either one of them, but you know for a fact the first one was nothing like what Zach thought he was doing when he started this this series of films. Right, mm-hmm. and what here you're going to be getting blocks of an artist's vision for a character or a story without the interference of the outside world. So then you do actually get his, which is what you got with Marvel. You've got the director's version, which, you know, uh, many people didn't like that when we got um, Iron Fist. Many people fell in love with it when we got Daredevil, you know, and, and but I do think it's always important to, get to see an artist's complete vision before we judge it. And vision being a great word to use, of course, because vision's you know, in the that's series. That's his name. That's his name. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you could, 100%, I agree with everything you just said. Wise man, Cobra Kai KP. Um, mm-hmm. If you want, you can also, and this is something that I found out recently that I did for myself. There is this dude on Instagram named Devon Tapes. Uh, this was a because they're not the plan is according to Kevin Feige and I don't know how true this is going to last for, but they are not going to release any physical media of Disney Plus products because they want people to come and subscribe, and so you know fair play to them if they want to do that, but Devon Tapes is a guy on Instagram who specifically was able to and he he got permission by some people who were interested in seeing this done, he took all six episodes of WandaVision. And put it on a VHS tape. 
to kind of add to the uh. idea of the classic um, WandaVision being on salute to these old sitcoms, old style of TV. Now you can watch it on a very old TV if you got a VHS player. He does this with a bunch of movies. He did it with like an episode of uh, Black Mirror. And if you want to check him out, you can. Currently, um, the WandaVision stuff is out, and he's a bit swamped with work because everyone bought, gobbled up and bought the WandaVision tapes, including myself. Um, <laughs> but if you want to also get it in physical media, you got a VHS player, uh, keep an eye on him because he says he's going to try and do re-release it on there. And it's only, it's like uh, 40 bucks. It's pricey, but also it's a thing where it's the entire show on a single VHS formatted for your television. Cool. Um, let's not do that. Free plug for you. Also, while we're on plugs, the Gin Project is amazing. Please check out their products. <laughs> Just thought I'd throw it awesome. to my guy. Love that, man. Awesome. And with that, that is officially the wrap. Uh, we've been rapping for the last, uh, several <laughs> 15 minutes. Um, call it an album. Bruntish. Um, so yeah. From all of us over here at, uh, Go Home Heat and or Is It a Real Classic? Um, Cobra Kai KP it has been and it has been myself Litnik Uh, once again telling you that this has been a Go Home Heat production and go out there and find some good content you'll never know when you'll find the next classic you want to say goodbye alright alright that's a good goodbye if I've ever heard one Leave, leave them wanting more okay uh Go ahead and look at